You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Shock and disbelief in Whistler Blackcomb tonight over the loss of a well-known and much-loved member of that community. Lisa Corthals, a realtor and heli-skiing guide, died yesterday after being swept up in an avalanche while guiding a group of guests. Paul Johnson joins us with more on what happened and the tributes pouring in tonight. Paul. Chris, this happened on a run called New Wave. That's in the South Creek zone of Whistler Blackcomb's heli-skiing operations north of Pemberton. They got her to the Whistler Health Center in critical condition, but she didn't make it. It's the ultimate if you're a skier or a snowboarder, carving fresh tracks on the massive slopes of BC's coastal range mountains, the kind of terrain you can only get access to in a chopper. Few get to do it, and even fewer are skilled enough to lead a trip. Lisa Corthals was one of them. The 49-year-old Pemberton resident was an expert skier with a legendary reputation. She's credited with the first descent of several mountains in B.C. and Alaska. Here she is jumping out of a helicopter as the ski stunt double in a Fantastic Four movie. But she also had a complete life off the mountain as a wife and mother of one who worked as a real estate agent in Whistler. She was leading a heli-skiing tour for Whistler Blackcomb yesterday when she was buried in an avalanche. The company's chief operating officer, Pete Sontag, said, We lost a well-loved member of our staff and community, and our hearts go out to her family, friends, and fellow employees. Corthals had also worked as a heli-skiing guide in the Caribou and Monashi mountain ranges, helping many skiers and boarders to have an unforgettable experience. The RCMP and WorkSafe BC have both launched an investigation. Whistler Blackcomb's heli-skiing operations were down today because of the weather, and they say they'll continue that for a while as they do their own safety review, but they expect they'll be up and running again shortly. Chris? All right, thanks for that report, Paul. You bet. And there is more tonight about a snowmobiling tragedy near Golden. RCMP are now confirming the victims are a 30-year-old woman and her 11-year-old stepdaughter, both from Florida. Global Sarah often now on what we're learning about the tour the pair were on and how the accident unfolded. It's snowmobile access only to get into the North Bench Trail northwest of Golden, and that's where a group of 10 snowmobiles uh, had been riding as part of a tour yesterday around noon when the tragedy happened. Rocky Mountain Riders is one of many tour companies that offer guided tours, including for beginners in the backcountry near Golden. The company says they had given everyone their safety briefing. They were all wearing helmets and were out on the trail when one snowmobile suddenly veered off the trail and crashed. A woman in her 30s and her 11-year-old daughter had been on the machine. Search and rescue responded by helicopter and snowmobile, but the pair from Miami, Florida died on scene. Well, that shocking news is sweeping across the snowmobiling community today. People come to this area from all over for the snowmobile terrain. But they tell me the trail the tour was on was pretty straightforward, also noting just how powerful these machines can be. Riding the trails isn't very risky. I mean, it's just maybe they went too fast. I don't, I don't know, but we don't go any faster than we need to go, so... 
safe and come home every night. It's an incredible sport. Uh, it can be done extremely safely all the time. It should be because you should never snowmobile outside of your capability or the terrain. It's no different than the vehicle. I mean, your vehicle can go really fast too. And if you're not familiar with it, you can have an accident. The crew members were trained in first aid and they performed CPR on the girl and her stepmother until crews arrived. Obviously a horrific event for everyone that was there, including the little girl's father and two other children that were also there as part of the family. Sarah Offen, Global News. The driver caught on dash cam going the wrong way on Highway 99 before a multi-vehicle crash has now died. The coroner's service confirming the 26-year-old man's death this morning. The head-on crash also injured several other people and closed the highway for hours. RCMP believe the man was impaired by something other than alcohol, and they are appealing for witnesses to come forward with more information. A serious warning tonight for attendees of a softball camp on Vancouver Island. It comes after a 13-year-old girl died after contracting strep throat while attending the camp. Kylie Stanton has more on the warning from health officials and how the teen is being remembered. Her talent was just being realized. That's my girl! A great hitter, an even better catcher. Right here, that would be her spot. Who, like most softball players, called this home. Robin was a great teammate. You know, fierce, intense competitor on the field, gentle giant off the field. 13-year-old Robin Carey died last Friday after contracting an invasive Group A streptococcal infection. She was attending a softball camp here in Parksville when flu-like symptoms first appeared, forcing her to take a day off of training before returning home to Victoria. And her mother found her, found her in the bathroom and they, she had to go to the hospital right away. But it was too late. Robin died only hours later. The coroner has confirmed it's investigating, while Island Health is advising those who were at the camp to watch for signs of infection. In a statement, the medical health officer says the likelihood of spread of infection from routine social or sports contact with an ill person is low, and antibiotic treatment for people who have had this kind of exposure is not recommended. But severe Group A strep infections are on the rise. In 2016, there were 44 cases in Island Health service area. That number jumped to 49 the following year, and in 2018, the number is already at 31, a trend that's replicating right across the province. It is concerning and it's unclear exactly what is causing it. For the last 10 years, we, we have a, on average about 150 cases a year. And in the last two years, that went up to 300 and then just over 400 cases that we know of last year. Of that number, 16 cases, like Robin's, were fatal. Robin, centre of attention. The club and team are planning to celebrate the rising star's life the only way they know how, by getting back on the field. We intend to recognise Robin um, uh, on an ongoing basis within the association. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. He's called the Nightmare of Amsterdam, a role created to improve safety while boosting nightlife in the European city. And now he's in Vancouver sharing what he has learned. Our Nadia Stewart is live on the Granville Strip. Nadia, this model has proven successful now in a number of major European cities. So what is the hope for Vancouver? Well, Sophie, the city says that they do not plan on hiring a nightmare, but they tell me they do want to learn from Amsterdam's nightmare. Merrick Milan has become an international consultant of sorts. In a job that didn't exist, 
until he began doing it. The Nightmare is an independent, non-for-profit foundation which helps ensure that the city of Amsterdam has a dynamic and vibrant nightlife. That's right, a nightmare. His job is to bridge the gap between Amsterdam's nightlife, its businesses and festivals with city council and residents. Ultimately, the goal is safety through better communication. There was a huge gap. Both sides didn't really uh, see what the needs were. But we really always also focus on making sure that uh, the quality of life stays high and that uh, reports of nuisance and, and alcohol-related violence went down. No, no, the kind of behavior that's led to problems here on Vancouver's Granville Strip. In January, an early morning fight claimed the life of a nightclub worker. And that isn't the only fatality. It's prompted calls for extended bar closing hours and even the return of surveillance cameras. In an email to Global News, the city agrees the concept is a good one and there could be benefits to having a role like that in Vancouver. The city is interested to learn more, but there are currently no plans to formally pursue a nightmare. Still, Amsterdam's nightmare says every municipality could benefit from having someone like him. If the scene gets really uh, self-organized and it can speak in one voice towards City Hall to influence decision making, but also working together with City Hall about, about creating this diverse and vibrant nightlife. A culturally diverse night will lead to a more social and ethnic inclusive city. Sophie Milan was the first nightmare, but now he is no longer the only one. He tells me there are about 10 around the world. Back to you. All right. Thanks for that, Nadia Stewart, downtown Vancouver. The Kinder Morgan pipeline dispute seems to be pitting B.C. against other western provinces, if not the whole country, with Saskatchewan's premier now adding his own threat of retaliation if the pipeline doesn't get built. Keith Baldry joins us now with details on this one. And uh, Keith, Premier Scott Moe taking to Twitter today to make his position known. Yeah, a lot of British Columbians probably haven't heard of Scott Moe. He's relatively new, replacing Brad Wall just a short time ago. But he's starting to make waves, uh, changing his tune, taking a harder line against B.C., aligning himself with Alberta Premier Rachel Notley. So today, this is what he tweeted out after an interview with a magazine to changing his position, saying that Canada was founded as a nation upon its economic union. That means goods should travel freely across Canada to ensure market access. I hope it doesn't come to this, but if B.C. blocks pipelines for Canadian oil, Saskatchewan will consider retaliation, including restricted export permits of our oil. Uh, so what does this mean? It, basically, Alberta ships more oil. We use more oil from Alberta than we do from Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan is the second biggest producer of oil, about 13% in all of the country. But Alberta is the big producer. A lot of this may have to do with politics, of course. Rachel Notley is more popular now that she's saber-rattling against B.C. Scott Moe's facing an election within a couple of years, and I think he sees this as a way to improve his own popularity, defending the home front at BC's expense. Chris? And, and like he says, hopefully it doesn't come to that. Thanks, Keith. We'll see. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, today the Independent Investigations Office cleared the RCMP of wrongdoing in the shooting death of a Slocan man back in 2014. 45-year-old Peter DeGroot was shot after a police manhunt that lasted several days. The incident began when officers were called about a dispute between DeGroot and his neighbor. DeGroot was later located in a Slocan Valley trapper's cabin and shot and killed by police. Now, after an intensive three-year investigation, the IIO has determined there are no grounds for any charges against the officers involved. Well, despite an attempt in recent years to clean up the street market on the downtown east side and prevent stolen goods from changing hands, there are questions tonight about whether more should be done. 
It comes after a carpenter had his vehicle broken into and $5,000 in tools stolen. Tetranecki has more on how he got some of them back and why ruling out theft altogether at the market is difficult. The only reason they're doing all this is to get the drugs, and they're addicted. Steve Mollison had taken some of his professional carpentry tools and put them in his locked truck to save time for the next day's early start. Sometime overnight, he was cleaned out. My skill saw, my electric planer, my undercut saw, uh, my grinder, two spikers, a roofing gun. Though the break-in occurred near English Bay. It was clear across the downtown core where he discovered some of his stolen property on display at the downtown east side market. He asked who the seller was, but got no response. When I went in and saw my stuff there, I said, who was, who was this? Who, who was selling there? And they all, well, nobody knew anything. We don't tolerate uh, stolen goods. We look, you know, we have many staff that go through and they're looking for things all the time. Some, as you could see when you walk through, the majority of the stuff is, you know, recycled stuff. Among the many items banned from the downtown east side market are power tools, although we did see one or two for sale. But management says most of these items come from public donations, about $10,000 every two weeks. About $5,000 with they took my livelihood in one swoop. But even our latest victim understands the real problem is addiction. It's driving users further afield. Now we've got people who have lived here for 50, 60 years that are being preyed on. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, put, you put wolves in the friggin' barnyard and the stock becomes prey. Today, the province and the RCMP launched a lock it or looted campaign. Because as the opiate crisis grows, so too do break and enters. And for the record, he did lock it but he was still looted. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Right now, though, with Metro Vancouver's vacancy rate essentially at zero, the fact landlords can ban pets makes it almost impossible for many people to find a place to live. But as Jill Bennett reports, a new survey on whether the laws should change has some surprising results. Trying to find a rental in Metro Vancouver that allows pets can feel like you're just going in circles. Everyone has a dog. Where are they all living? Because... When you start looking for a place, there's nothing available that's dog-friendly. A Craigslist search for a one-bedroom close to downtown for $2,000 or less gets more than 2,000 returns. Add pets into that mix, the number is less than 400. In a new poll, the Angus Reid Institute asks people, should landlords be allowed to refuse rentals to people with pets? The majority of people in this country, regardless of whether they own or whether they rent, are of the view that it really should be the landlord's discretion. More surprising, perhaps, are the numbers from tenants. Tenants themselves are divided uh, 50-50 down the middle on this issue. And that's what creates a situation where it's about two-thirds for uh, giving landlords the discretion and about one-third saying, no, they should be compelled to take tenants with pets. A group called Pets OKBC has been calling for legislative changes, saying a blanket pet ban policy is unreasonable. The evidence suggests that tenants with pets cause virtually no significant damage above and beyond any other type of tenant. We need to really be focused on responsible tenants and finding good tenants for your homes rather than just writing off almost half the population, which are renters with pets. There is also the argument the bigger issue is a lack of rental supply in general. And until more is built, finding a home will remain difficult for many people, including pet owners. We feel really lucky, that's for sure. Jill Bennett, Global News. And a warning from West Vancouver Police to keep a close eye on your pets. It comes after a family dog suddenly became ill during a walk last Sunday in a forested area near Keith Road and Willow Creek Road. 
A blood test determined PCP was in the dog's system. Thankfully, the dog was successfully treated and is now recovering. We very much just wanted the community to be aware that this dog had become ill in this way and for the community to be aware of it so they could be just very normally uh, alert if they're uh, in areas where uh, they might be with small children or pets who could come in contact with anything on the ground. If they see or find anything suspicious, certainly to give us a call. Summer road closures are always an inconvenience, but a popular Langley attraction is worried that road work this summer will cost it hundreds of thousands of dollars. As Jennifer Palmer reports, Dredigger Farms is asking why upgrades to a nearby rail crossing are being done right in the middle of its busiest season. It's not unusual to see drivers ignoring this railway crossing stop sign in the township of Langley. Transport Canada says it needs safety improvements, but those will come at a cost to local businesses like Dredigger Farms. Even with our long-term customers, if you reroute them, that we could see a loss of customers in the future. So that half million dollars that we were talking about losing would, is really just the minimum. We're actually thinking it would be much more than that. Dredegger says 15 to 20,000 vehicles alone access 72nd Avenue near 240th in Township of Langley to get to her farm. She adds she wasn't told about the closure and found out through a neighbor. <laughs> Meanwhile, down the hill from her at Golden Spruce Nurseries, they were notified and they've been working with the township to accommodate the planned May to September road closure of 72nd Avenue. It's been hectic and our busy season is starting right now where we have uh, 15, 20 trucks a day flying in and out of here, so it's, uh, it's starting to get very tense around here. The township of Langley didn't have anyone available for us to speak with on camera today, but they do tell us that while this road is closed down, that they do have a reroute in place. It will send drivers north on 232nd to Rawlinson Crescent and bring them back down to 240th. Dredegger says it's not ideal and that all she's asking for is for the construction start date to be postponed until September. If we have to look at an injunction to get the project moved, or if we have to go after the township for our losses and future losses, it's just, it's just not our preference. We'd rather just have our market open, deal with our harvest for four months, and then absolutely you can shut the road. The $3 billion project must be completed before the end of this year to maintain federal funding. Greediger has spoken to council. The matter is being reviewed by staff. Jennifer Palma, Global News. After a successful pilot project, TransLink says 32 double-decker buses will soon be rolling on Metro Vancouver roads. The buses will be hitting the streets by mid-2019. That comes after a four-month pilot project where the buses operated on seven long-haul routes in Vancouver, Langley, Surrey, White Rock and Delta. An interim report finds 75% of customers said they would more likely take transit if they were riding a double-decker. Funding is being provided by the federal gas tax. I still can't believe that this is actually happening. An emotional homecoming today for Malala Yousafzai, who returned to her native Pakistan for the first time since she was attacked by the Taliban. Yousafzai was shot in the face by militants in 2012 for advocating for girls' education rights. After her recovery at age 17, she became the youngest person to receive a Nobel Peace Prize and was made an honorary citizen of Canada. 
Well, to no one's surprise, Russia has announced the expulsion of more than 150 diplomats, including at least four Canadians. It's retaliation for the expulsion of Russian diplomats by several countries. And it comes as new information surfaces about the chemical attack in the UK that triggered the diplomatic war. Tonight, new clues that could solve what's been a weeks-long mystery. Just how were former Russian spy Sergei Skripal and his daughter poisoned with a nerve agent that left them critically ill? We've reconstructed their last known movements on March 4th in Salisbury, England. At 1.30, they set out from home for drinks at this pub, followed by lunch around the corner. At 3.35, they left the restaurant and soon collapsed on a nearby park bench. Chemical weapons expert Hamish de Breton Gordon walked us through the crime scene. Heading towards the sort of center of town. He thinks the fast acting poison was likely smeared on something they touched. This stuff, if breathed in, can kill you instantaneously. If absorbed through the skin, which I think is the, the case in this particular attack, then within, within minutes, if not hours. British authorities now say they think the poison was left on Skripal's front door. The Kremlin strongly denies it was involved. But Boris Karpichkov, another Russian spy turned double agent, has no doubt his former bosses were responsible. This is your KGB ID card. Basically, license to kill. Karpichkov says just last month he got a call from a friend still on the inside. He told me, look, be careful. Look around. His source told him he was one of eight on a hit list. It includes Skripal and Christopher Steele, author of the infamous Trump-Russia dossier. A Washington state man is facing child porn charges after a disturbing discovery in a remote cabin. 56-year-old Daniel Wood has pleaded not guilty to two charges of child pornography. Wood was tracked down by the FBI more than a year after a park ranger found the fairy tale like treehouse in Snoqualmie National Forest in 2016. Inside, he found images of naked children. Investigators say they found thousands more pictures and videos after they searched Woods' home. Police in Northern California are trying to get to the bottom of a crash that appears to have killed all eight members of one family. Complicating the investigation, reports that neighbors had called Child Protective Services on the parents concerned about their six adopted children. Along the cliffs of Northern California, the mangled wreckage of an SUV. Above, authorities finding no skid marks and very few clues about what happened to the Hart family. Investigators recovered the bodies of Jennifer and Sarah Hart and three of their adopted children. They believe three other children were also in the SUV and are still missing. Social media posts paint a picture of a happy family. One of their sons, Devante Hart, famously photographed in 2014, hugging a police officer during a rally in Portland. But recently, these neighbors called Child Protective Services, saying Devante had been sneaking over to their house asking for food. And then Devante coming over here and telling us that, you know, he's being starved to death. Friends of the family coming to the Hart's defense. Jen and Sarah were the most loving two moms that we could have ever seen on this earth, caring for six beautiful adopted children. Tonight, investigators are combing through the family's home as the search for the three missing continues. Gotti Schwartz, NBC News. 
Another huge security breach tonight that has compromised the personal information of millions of people. This time, it's sports apparel maker Under Armour saying a security breach affects the personal details of 150 million users of its MyFitnessPal app. Under Armour says the breach affects usernames, emails and encrypted passwords, but not payment information. In Health Matters tonight, Richmond Hospital is finally getting a replacement for an aging building that's long obsolete. Premier John Horgan and Health Minister Adrian Dix announcing a new acute care tower to replace the existing tower. It was built back in 1966, and a recent report predicted it would at least partially collapse in even a moderate earthquake. At the bottom of every interaction I had with the people of Richmond, it was, we need a new tower in our hospital. It's long overdue. Will you commit to that? And I said I would, and I'm so proud to be here today to say the hospital is a go. The preliminary estimate puts the cost of the tower at $283 million, with a construction start date in 2020. Some amazing video out of Texas now where a professional musician treated surgeons to some soothing music while they operated on her. 63-year-old Anna Henry plays the flute while undergoing deep brain stimulation to treat her severe tremors. Henry's condition had been steadily worsening for decades, preventing her from doing everyday things and worst of all, affecting her career as a symphony flautist. The good news, the deep brain stimulation worked almost immediately. Tourists on safari in Tanzania got a better view of a pair of cheetahs than they ever could have imagined, and it was terrifying. That's right after the weather forecast with Yvonne. But they also got really good pictures, they apparently. They sure did. Good video. All right. Yvonne Shell joins us now with a look at our weather forecast. And looks pretty miserable out there, Yvonne. Yeah, it's very gray out there. But we are going to be back into some sunshine leading into the long weekend. I'll have more on the timing in just a moment. Here's what we're seeing on our tower cam overlooking English Bay. The rain is going to continue this evening and overnight. Temperatures right now to the airport sitting at 8 degrees. And that was our high for today. Average for this time of the year sits closer to 11. And a record on the Almanac, 19 degrees, was set back in 2004. Here's the satellite and radar still seeing a few waves of moisture across the island. It'll continue to be unsettled, especially for the overnight tonight. Big weather picture, though, as we zoom on out, we are going to see a bit of a break in behind, especially for a good Friday. Late in the day for tomorrow, but still a significant amount of snow is uh, for the following areas in white where we do have the warnings that are in effect. Bulkley Valley and the lakes, uh, Prince George included within that, ranging between 15 and up to 20 centimeters. Elk Valley, Yellowhead and Kinbasket seeing up to 15 centimeters, or most of the snow is really going to start to ease off, but that'll be by the morning hours tomorrow. Highway 16, if you're heading from Smithers to Terrace, a snowfall warning between 15 and up to 20 centimeters. Also easing off by the afternoon tomorrow, and we can see that in the future cast. I've put that into the afternoon. Most areas will see a break from the snow, a break from the rain across the coast, and then we've got a dry start towards our Saturday with an increase in cloud cover by the afternoon. Coastal sections tomorrow, so the rain is going to ease off, as well as the snow for inland sections. Once again, if you're heading along Highway 16, most areas for the 
central interior, a clearing for the afternoon with Prince George hitting a high of minus three. Much of the southern interior tomorrow, it's unsettled along the Columbia and Kootenai, where we'll see that transition from wet snow over to rain. Tops in Okanagan should remain dry with just a slight chance to see an isolated shower. Most areas near Whistler for the early morning hours, wet flurries changing over to rain. And across the south coast, we are going to see that rain easing off by the afternoon. We'll be back into a mix of sun and cloud. Temperatures will be bumping up once again for tomorrow. We're looking to see a high of 13 degrees. A clearing on the way, but we are going to see that increase in cloud cover and unsettled for a Sunday, Monday for Easter, with both days looking at a chance of showers. Tonight's weather window, fantastic, sent in from Diane from Utska Lake. Guys? Also a great name for a beautiful lake. Thank you very much, Yvonne. Well, there's nothing quite as exciting as an African safari, especially when the wildlife is active. But a Seattle man's experience is going viral, and for good reason. When his tour vehicle pulled up beside three cheetahs, the animals got curious. And while one climbed up on the hood, another one ended up right there. Right beside Britton Hayes. The animal stayed there for what I'm sure seemed like an eternity before finally hopping out. Hayes credits his survival with his tour guide, uh, to his tour guide, I should say, who told him to stay completely still and not make eye contact. You can see him just staring straight ahead right there so that the cheetah would not see him as a threat. My goodness. Stay completely still. I'd be dead. I would be dead because my allergies would kick in. I'd start sneezing like crazy. It would freak him out, and he'd probably slash my throat. Be all over. Keep your windows rolled up when you go on a Yeah, like, why are the windows open? Well, you, he... I don't get it. Usually you stay... Yeah, I mean... You know, reasonable distance. Tough to outrun a cheetah, though. If they decide to come over, you know... Yeah, but if the windows are up, they're not going to come up with a coat hanger and try to open your door. It's It's a fresh air. What are you working on? All right. We'll solve that problem later. All right. Okay. A Vancouver-based suit maker has entered the big leagues, quite literally. Indochino is now the official made-to-measure suit outfitter for the New York Yankees. The partnership part of the company's push into the New York market. And that'll include a soon-to-open third Manhattan showroom. The Yankees have... Uh, well over 30 million fans across North America, so not just in the New York area. Obviously, they're uh, an iconic team in New York, but they're also an iconic team across North America. And so, you know, it's a chance to have an association with an iconic brand in our biggest market, but we also feel there'll be benefits across, you know, our 22 other showrooms right now uh, across North America. Didi Gregorius. Didi Gregorius. I love that name. Yes, he is. Spokesmodel. Nice. Sharp dressed man. It would have been your favorite Derek Jeter had he still been playing for the Yankees. Yeah. No more. He is my favorite. All right. Here's the good news. Here's good news. Uh, Rumors that Victoria's Steve Nash has been told he's going to be a made man. He'll become a member of the Basketball Hall of Fame this year, along with Jason Kidd and Grant Hill. The announcement will be made official Saturday during the NCAA Final Four. And it all started at St. Mike's in Victoria. There he is, as a kid. Uh, From there, he went on to become one of the greatest passers the NBA has ever seen. So good, he was a two-time MVP, something no one expected when he was drafted by Phoenix in 96. He also played for Dallas and the Lakers. Too bad the Grizzlies never believed in him. He is the greatest Canadian basketball player ever. He deserves to be immortalized. 
Well, tonight is the night. Adam Gaudet makes his NHL debut for the Vancouver Canucks against the Edmonton Oilers at home. So we had to ask him the question. Did he feel bad taking some of the spotlight away from Connor McDavid? I don't know about that. I mean, the guy's got 100 points already two years in a row, so it's pretty cool to be playing my first game against somebody like that. So I think that's pretty special as well, one of the best players in the world. And, you know, uh, I'm kind of going to be in awe just watching him out there. So, uh, But, you know, try not to worry about that and just worry about uh, what I can do out there. Play with confidence, have fun, uh, enjoy it, don't overthink it, and uh, do what you do best. There's... You don't want to overcomplicate things with a, a young man playing his first NHL game. He follows in the footsteps of South Asian NHLers Manny Malhotra and Robin Bawa, and Surrey's Jujar Kara has been one of the few Edmonton Oilers that have had a season that was better than anticipated. He is in town tonight to play in front of family and friends. Austin can't get the puck seat. Here's Kara. Kara in there. Cuts in. What a goal by Jujar In a season when most of the Edmonton Oilers had big drop-offs in their play, Jujar Kara went the other way. At six foot three, 215 pounds, Kara plays a heavy game that the Oilers desperately need. But he's also shown in his first full NHL season, he's got legitimate game in all areas. The skill set for me is, has been there. He's got a tremendous set of hands and he's got a, a good brain. Um, the physical side of his game has always been there. It's just putting it all together and consistently bringing it to the ring. You know, now I can kind of take a deep breath and go play my game. Uh, at first, I think, you know, you overthink it. Every game's like a tryout, but now just being familiar with everything, everybody, it's, it's, a, lot, it's a lot easier and more calming for me. Not coincidentally, with Kara in town, the Canucks are having South Asian night at Rogers Arena. Kara is the only player of South Asian descent currently in the NHL and only the third ever, along with former Canucks Manny Malhotra and Robin Bawa. It's a banner he's proud to wear. It's one of those things, you know, my dream is to play in the NHL and I want to make a career out of it. And, you know, if I can, if I can motivate and if I can do my part and help out as much as possible, I think, I think I'm okay with that. So, uh, you know, I just want to... Just be a good role model as much as I can. Role model for his community, but also leading by example on a team that needed some positive news this season. Kara with his second of the night. I think he's one of three guys that have have uh, stepped up their game in this room and have probably played over expectations. So it's it's been great to see him grow as a player, and uh, he's been a he's been a real key guy for our team this year. You know, I'm anticipating that he can not only maintain his position on our team and in the league, but also uh, strengthen it. Very delay, Global Sports. He was just four years old. Major League Baseball opened up today. The Jays paying tribute to the late Roy Halladay, who died last November in a plane crash. He played 12 years for the Jays. They were taking on the Yankees, who have added Giancarlo Stanton. To play on a winning team. He and Aaron Judge, it's a murderer's row, 21st century style. Two-run homer there. He had 59 last year at Florida. Jays didn't do much offensively, just like they didn't do much offensively all of last season. But Kevin Pillar puts this solo shot over the wall in the eighth to get Toronto on the board, give the fans something to cheer for. 5-1 at that point. Stanton again. See ya! And another drive to deep That's over the sport checks. That's over everything. Yankees win it. He had two home runs and four RBI in his 
Yankee debut. And was still able to run and she was gone. But you know what? He didn't look as good as Didi Gregorius. That's true. Yeah. Nice guy. That's right. Thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Andrew and now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Thanks, Sophie. Prince George, RCMP, have arrested a suspect in connection to a series of death threats against students attending a local secondary school. The threats were made on an Instagram account on Wednesday and included images of guns. The account was named DP Todd is Next and promised to act on the threat next week when school was back in session after spring break. We'll have the very latest on this investigation and the clues police uncovered that led them to the suspect. That's all ahead tonight at 11. O'clock. Chris, Sophie. All right. Thanks, Ann. And when we come back, what is so special about that little mountain sound, a legendary Vancouver studio responsible for some of rock's most iconic albums? But first, here's Kasia Badurka with five things to do this weekend. Kasia. Yeah, a wide range of things. Cars, Easter egg hunts, rock. Let's start with the Vancouver International Auto Show, Western Canada's biggest celebration of the automobile. It's even bigger this year with impressive and interactive displays showcasing over 40 manufacturers, exotic cars and hundreds of products and services. Easter weekend is here and community centres across the province are holding special events for kids. In Burnaby, the grandparent and family Easter egg hunt will have crafts, live entertainment and games. And at the Port Moody Station Museum, the Easter Bunny himself will make an appearance. He'll also be at Bear Creek Park in Surrey. Take a train ride into the forest for an Easter egg hunt, crafts and a meet and greet with the Easter Bunny. The event goes on all weekend, rain or shine. There's also the option of visiting bunnies at the farm. Alder Acres Farm in Langley is opening its gates for a weekend of family fun. There's a petting zoo, tractor-pulled hay rides, Easter cookies, and more. And now, a different tone. Matthew Good and Our Lady Peace are live in concert. Critics say it's an energetic and nostalgic experience for fans. And despite news of Matt Good collapsing on stage in Edmonton, they'll be in Kelowna Friday and wrap up their tour Saturday in Abbotsford. For more on this, head to globalnews.com this program is brought to you by bcaa get a bcaa membership and save with our many partners plus get the best roadside assistance coming up on et canada we preview ready player one and find out what it's like on the set working with the legendary steven spielberg plus you better be on your best behavior we are sitting down with judge judy that's all coming up at seven right after the news hour for now it's back to you chris and sophie all right thanks cheryl so Squire spent some time digging into the history of the Little Mountain Sound, the studio that's amazing. It's still there, but it's no longer called Little Mountain Sound, but it's still on West 7th. I just want to say, because I know people are going to see this, the original Loverboy album did not have week, Working for the Weekend on it, yep. but I still think that's the quintessential Loverboy song, mm-hmm. so I've taken a bit of dramatic license with the story. <laughs> this story only scratches the surface. So many people we could have talked about, but here we go, the history of Little Mountain Sound. From the late 1970s until the early 1990s, this nondescript building in Vancouver was the laboratory for some of the biggest songs of the era. During that time, big groups like Aerosmith came to Vancouver to work with producers like Bruce Fairburn and Bob Rock at Little Mountain Sound. Here we go, we'll try it again. Vancouver was a really great place for them to come and hang out. They got left alone by the fans, nobody bugged them, and they could come and work in this uh, really great you know, rock, rock and roll kind of building. 
but it took a Vancouver band working with Vancouver producers and engineers to make the world aware of Little Mountain. The album that started it all for us was Loverboy. When they read that we recorded in Little Mountain with uh, Bruce Fairburn and uh, Bob Rock and Mike Fraser, this is where they wanted to come. That's why we got Bon Jovi, because they had heard uh, Loverboy, so from Bon Jovi, and then it just one after another. The building itself also brought the bands. The studios sounded great, but the key part was the loading bay. That's where they would put the microphones when they were recording drums. And this typically is, would be about where we would set up the drum kit. And there's a doorway here that leads out to a loading bay. We used to have baffles, uh, big kind of shields like this. What we would do is we'd set up a couple of stereo mics kind of here, shooting off into the corners, so the sound of the drum would come in. And, you know, we'd get that, that ambient sound of the drums. Right where we're standing, this is like ground zero. Right here. We're in ground zero. Square. This is where the greatness happened. Right here. Right here and you know who stood right here? Brian Johnson from ACDC. Steven Tyler stood right here. John Bon Jovi stood right here. I imagine there's some sweat from every rock star in the, in the, <laughs> in the 80s right here in this yeah. spot. Right this was the magic spot. I don't know why. But this is where you stood with your headphones on, the microphone here. Boom. And you just went for it. You looked for everybody to go like this you in that window. Yeah. It's a combination of the building and the people. And it's all about timing. It was the right time for all of us, and uh, it was a great time in Vancouver.